everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding national liberal arts college. In this 24th edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year, we'll hear about a great upcoming talk about how Latinos are reshaping U.S. politics. We'll also meet Nate Beliva. He's the new sports information director at Monmouth College, and he's the new voice of Fighting Scots Athletics. The impact that Latino voters are having on American politics has been studied for several years by political scientists, particularly in the last two presidential elections. That topic will be discussed on Tuesday, March 23, when political scientist Louise Fraga of the University of Notre Dame speaks about Latinos and the reshaping of American politics. His talk will be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on March 23, and it will be delivered on Zoom, and it will be free and and open to the public. For more information about accessing the talk, check out the story in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website. And that address is monmouthcollege.edu slash news. Louise Fraga's talk is made possible by the good folks in the Monmouth Political Science Department, specifically Professor Andre Audette. In the 2020 U.S. presidential election, Andre says the Latino vote played a critical role in the outcome of the presidential election. That's a topic that political scientists have been studying for quite some time and one that Luis Fraga will touch on in his talk as well on March 23. Particularly the returns in Florida and Texas, I think were some that were talked about a lot. And then as the as the days wore on, I think the Latino vote, particularly in states like Arizona, became really important. Nevada, even some people are saying Pennsylvania, um, that the Latino vote might have been very crucial for that state. I think looking back historically, um, so Latinos are the, the fastest growing racial and ethnic group, at least in terms of overall numbers. Uh, so there is a lot of suggestion by the media and political scientists that Latinos are going to basically change the outcome of elections, that they're going to decide who the president is going to be and decide who our representatives are going to be. And there's actually been a long debate in political science about whether or not that is the case, um, whether Latinos actually do mobilize and get out to vote and, and change the outcome of elections. And I think if we do look back historically, Latinos have played a really important role in in American politics, both in terms of our elected officials, but in other ways too, in terms of the policies that we see um, and and other ways that they're affecting the political system, political campaigns. So I think he's going to touch a little bit on each of those. I know his main focus is going to be on, on presidential elections, but I expect him to show the ways that Latinos really are growing in political power and and having a meaningful impact on our political system. As Andre points out, Latino voters are far from being a monolithic voting bloc in the United States. Yeah, and right now I'm teaching a Latino politics class, and we just got done talking about um, whether Latinos will vote for Republican candidates. And and even just in looking at 2016 and 2020, there were a surprising number of Latinos that did vote for uh, former President Trump and, and other Republican candidates 
we look at um, different countries of origin, of course, notoriously Cubans uh, tend to be a little bit more conservative in their politics. But we can also look at differences across other groups. Um, so Mexicans and Puerto Ricans are different. Um, if we look at people from Central and South America, um, they're not a monolithic group at all. They have a vast difference in terms of culture, of background, even language sometimes, and of course in their politics as well. Right, and so when we think about people leaving those countries, they come with different experiences. And then when they come to the United States, they have different experiences here too. Um, so I think it's important to note too that um, Latinos who have been in the United States for several generations vote and act differently than Latinos who are closer to that immigration experience. Um, so there is a, a vast variety of different cultures and experiences within this group that we classify as Latinos. Um, and so I think it's useful to, to disaggregate that a little bit and, and talk about some of those minor nuances that really affect politics and life in the United States. You're listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. We're chatting with Monmouth College political science professor Andre Audette. Andre is hosting a great campus speaker on March 23rd. That's when political scientist Luis Fraga of the University of Notre Dame will speak about Latinos and the reshaping of American politics. You can watch his talk via Zoom. As Andre points out, Mammoth is very fortunate to have Luis Fraga give a talk. He is a big deal in the study of Latino politics. He's won awards. He's been appointed by U.S. presidents to commissions looking at um, Hispanic education in the United States. Um, and he's also just a great person. I personally got to interact with him. Um, he was on my dissertation committee at Notre Dame. Um, and he's a great mentor and a very, very smart and astute observer of Latino politics in the United States. One reason Latino voters are studied so closely by social scientists is that they are not just an influential part of the American electorate, but they're also a rapidly expanding size of the American electorate. I think that uh, Latinos are a very exciting group to study because they are numerically the fastest growing group. If we look proportionately, um, as you mentioned, uh, Asian immigrants are actually proportionately, so percentage-wise, the fastest growing immigrant group in the United States. Um, that's something that I've kind of been tracking. I think it's useful to study both groups and to think about how they relate to each other and how they compare to other immigrant groups in the United States, how they compare to other established groups in the United States. So how do they compare to Black and African-American voting rates or um, on the other side, um, evangelical Christians in the Republican Party? So I think it is useful to study each group individually, but I also kind of like to take an approach where we, we can look across those different groups and, and compare their experiences. So I think that's something that we're, we're likely to see um, Luis Fraga is, he's an astute observer of Latino politics, but he's also um, very, very good at looking across different groups as well. And so I think he brings that very valuable perspective in, in his talk next week. And of course, Latino voters are now spread out throughout the country. They no longer live in only a few big cities and regions as evidenced in Midwestern towns such as Monmouth, Illinois. There are um, a growing number of Latinos that are moving to these, uh, what we refer to as new destinations outside of the Southwest, outside of New York and Chicago, um, that we, we do see these new 
um, new cities where we see large Latino populations. And you know, making the comparison to the Irish is kind of interesting. Um, if we look at the Irish immigrant experience at the time, the Irish were considered non-white as well. Um, and, and now, of course, we, we have different conceptions of that particular ethnicity. And so I think it does raise a lot of interesting implications for how political parties try to mobilize those groups, how they try to get people involved in the system, and for those destinations too. Um, are there particular regions where political parties and campaigns have to focus more on those ethnic groups, or is it going to have to be a national level approach? And I think we've reached the point in Latino politics where we have presidential candidates that are speaking Spanish on the debate stage to try to reach out nationally to Latinos and not just focus their efforts on a few handful of states or cities. That's Monmouth political science professor Andre Audette. He will host a talk on March 23 by political scientist Luis Fraga of the University of Notre Dame. He will speak about Latinos and the reshaping of American politics. You can watch Professor Fraga's talk on Zoom. To find out how to watch it, check out the news story in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website, monmouthcollege.edu slash news. This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. At the start of March, veteran sports communications and marketing professional Nate Beliva became Monmouth's new sports information director. Nate comes to Monmouth from the Peoria Chiefs, the minor league baseball team of the Midwest League and affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals. That's where Nate spent the last 18 years as the organization's director of media, broadcast, and baseball operations. Nate succeeds Dan Nolan, who retired after 21 years as Monmouth's outstanding sports information director. Nate says he was attracted to Monmouth College for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the winning tradition of fighting Scots athletics. A lot of things with with Monmouth were, were very attractive to me. Um, you know, uh, D3 sports is... is is big, I think, in, in, in especially here in, in central Illinois and around this area. I've, I've been fortunate enough to be involved and do some games at Eureka, uh, at Illinois Wesleyan, uh, down at McMurray before they closed, um, you know, different places like that and to be around them and say, you know, it's really something cool here. Augustana, we, we with MediaCon, we called a bunch of Augustana uh, basketball games specifically, um, and especially when they were on some of those runs to the Final Four and, and, and doing things like that. And it was like, okay, I got a chance to get involved in this. And then, you know, getting to talk to Coach Haynes and, and seeing, you know, what, what they had planned for uh, um, a, a kind of a new wave in the athletic department with sports information, getting to see everything that Dan had done over the last 21 years and uh, being able to capitalize off of that, seeing that there is the groundwork for some things that we can then take to the next level. I, I think those are the things that, are, that attracted me here. Um, you know, the other part of it was, you know, seeing how involved the community is, how involved uh, the student body is. Obviously, a lot of them are student athletes as well. Um, but, you know, you're, you're not going to you're not fighting yourself. You know, it's not like it's not like you're getting told no a lot of times when you go places. And, um, you know, just, just everything I heard about Monmouth was great. In his first month on the job, Nate has jumped right into Monmouth College Athletics. After a 12-month hiatus, intercollegiate competition returned to Monmouth in early March with the spring's 
sports of lacrosse, baseball, softball, tennis, golf, and track and field. And Nate says there was much to learn. Yeah, it's been uh, you know jumping right into the into the fire with uh, with sports going right away and uh, uh, learning lacrosse and, uh, and and getting that stuff going and uh, softball doubleheader that was supposed to be on the road that became a home game um, and, and really. The, the biggest changes for me coming from minor league baseball and having followed a bunch of sports wasn't really the sports. It was the it was the software, um, you know, the, the, the software in college is a lot different than what we used in minor league baseball or even in high school sports where a lot of it's done on paper or Excel sheets. Um, you know, so learning that, trying to figure out how I needed to put a roster into the uh, to the scorebook so I could send it to the schools that we were playing on the road um, where, you know, in in high school sports and in minor league sports I come from, you just put it in Word or Excel and, and send a PDF and then that doesn't work here because you got to import it. Um, so learning that I think was the biggest thing. And then learning a website is always a little bit of a challenge because every company that, that runs a website, in this case, Sidearm, uh, is different than than any other place that you do it. So some use a lot of HTML, a lot now don't as much. Um, but, you know, what we used in Major League Baseball slash Minor League Baseball is a, is a little similar, um, but also some quirky things that were that were different that I had to learn. So just that and, and you know, learning my way around around campus meeting a bunch of coaches, um, you know, trying to figure out who I needed to get information from now, who I can wait and get information from in a month because they don't have a season until fall or winter, uh, just, just different things like that. Although Nate is new to Monmouth College, he's no stranger to sports in central and west central Illinois. In addition to spending nearly two decades with the Peoria Chiefs, Nate has called a lot of broadcast of college and high school games across the Illinois prairie. Yeah, yeah. I- I started doing that in the off season in 2004, 2005, um, just some connections I had made through the local media uh, in Peoria that, that came out to cover our games. And, and I let them know, hey, I, I, I covered a bunch of sports in, in college and, and, and stuff like that. So if there's an opening and there happened to be one, actually it was a radio station out of Kiwani at the time. Um, BJ Stone was their general manager. He's now down in Canton. He was the, the PA guy for the Rivermen. And so on nights when when they were playing, he needed somebody to do the high school games. And uh, I, I did a few of them there, kind of snowballed. He left to go to a, a Canton station. The person who took his place, Bob McKee, kept me on, put me on Geneseo games. Um, which was a bit of a drive from Peoria, especially when they were in the same conference as Dixon um, and, and going all the way up there, uh, you know, two or three times a year, depending on how the schedules broke down, LaSalle, Peru, Ottawa, um, you know, Streeter, Sterling, driving to all those places for conference games. Uh, got put on a lot of uh, Kiwani Weathersfield games, which was fantastic. Uh, them and the Boilers both, and they both had really good basketball programs, uh, which was good to call some some good, exciting games and to do that. And then, 2011, I got in with MediaCom TV, uh, kind of right place, right time. I, I knew a, I knew a guy there that was doing some directing and producing. Uh, a couple of, uh, of friends, and, and I jumped in there and started. I, the first year, I, I was a color commentator, and then the second year, I took over as play-by-play in 2012, and been still doing it now. Uh, you know, when when there's opportunities, obviously there hasn't been the last you know nine months, but. Um, you know, we did a game of the week um, and, and stuff like that and, and, and a one show a month for, for Inside Sports. So got to do all that. And, and somewhere along the lines, I got into IHSA, too. Um, again, I think it was a friend of a friend in right place, right 
time, but I did state finals for soccer um, and boys and girls did did a couple basketball finals, did some football finals, um, you know, at, at U of I and at Northern and got to call those on NBC Sports Chicago, which was a thrill, um, you know, get to do that and it gets picked up nationally. I mean, you, you can't get much better than that when you're when you're broadcasting. So, yeah, I mean. Every little school, I think, even I mean, some big schools, but mostly the smaller schools is where we went for Mediacom. You know, we, we weren't going with Mediacom. We weren't going to the, you know, the Peoria Richwoods or the, you know, we, we did a couple like Rock Island and stuff like that. But we were at Monmouth Roseville. We were at Abingdon Avon. We were at um, Farmington, you know, place, places like that. That's where we went. And they loved having us. You know, they don't get TV. They don't, they don't get TV games and, and get attention. So, you know, it was a lot of fun to go out there. Coaches were always awesome to have us. And uh, sometimes we got teams that were 9-0 and or on their way to a, a state tournament. Sometimes we got teams that were – it was 2-4 and four versus 2-4 and four on homecoming. They didn't care. They had a blast running the football and, or playing basketball, whatever it was, on, on TV for those games. So we, we loved doing it. We treated them like it was the uh, Monday Night Football, you know, for that week going into up to Abingdon and Avon or Stark County or wherever we were going. As Nate points out, sports on the Illinois Prairie is a very big deal at both the college and the high school levels. And that's what makes it so much fun to live and work in this part of the country. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a passionate fan base. Um, you know, you go off to some of these high schools on a Friday night pre-COVID, uh, hopefully post-COVID, and, and those are pack bleachers. You know, there's people tailgating. Um, you know, we, we, were hit, we, were, we were out there in the middle of a cornfield last year, um, you know, down over, over at Galva and and it was had to be 35 degrees on an October uh, Friday night. And people were out there, um, you know, cooking, um, you know, cooking dogs and cooking brats and, and uh, you know, having some drinks and, and all that stuff. And, and it's just awesome to see. And, uh, you know, we got that a lot of places we went, you know, you get basketball in the winter. And you get some of these days where you're driving up to a game. I, mean, I was driving to a game last year it, 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 up at Mercer County, and it, I mean, I had to be going 35 miles an hour the entire way because it was, you know, snow and sleet. And you're like, man, you're going to get here. There's going to be nobody there. You walk in there, and it wasn't even senior night or anything like that. It's packed gym, you know, and, and you get that at Weathersfield and, uh, you know, Kiwani, like all over. It, it, it's great. It, and, and just to see it. And, and there's so much good talent. And, and that's the other thing I like about Mama, too, because I look at this ro- these rosters now for different sports and I see players. I'm like, oh, yeah, I called her game, you know, three years ago. Uh, oh, I called his game a couple years ago at, at whatever school. And, you know, I kind of remember seeing a bunch of those names, which which is great. And, you know, that. You know, it, it happens too, where where sometimes you, you'll get you'll get a, a guy or a girl out of a high school around here that goes D one, you know, and then they're the they're the big star for the next four years. Even if they go to D one in 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 you know Iowa or Illinois, great, they're right here. But sometimes you get them and they go halfway across the country. But everybody in that little town is following them. You know, you look at Ethan Happy went to Wisconsin, not that far away. Everybody in Rockridge knew, hey, Ethan Happs at Wisconsin, you know, we're following every single Badgers game for the next four years, right? Um, you know, and, and, and all the little kids didn't know him. Uh, you know, Isaiah Rivera from Geneseo is on Colorado State. How many people from Geneseo, Illinois, were watching Colorado State basketball last year? Zero. This year, the whole town watched every single game they played, you know? And, and so that, that's awesome to get to do. And, and, and hopefully that happens with us as well. You know, we get... We get these kids from these local high schools, and now that we're going to have them on the, the webcast and, and get them on social media, that, that those towns will come follow us and, and, and interact with us and, and watch all their games, and they can continue following them. And the kids that are in junior high will see them and say, oh, yeah, that, that guy 
that guy, that gal, she taught, she taught me at camp, came to my grade school, came to my PE class, um, you know, came, came to my fifth grade game. And, oh, they played at Monmouth? Hey, I can do that. And, and, and that's how it builds, no matter what level it is. And, and there's so much talent, so many good schools and so many good coaches in this area that, that I think it, it's great for everybody. That's Nate Believer. He's the new voice of Fighting Scots Athletics as the college's sports information director. Of course, to read the latest news about Monmouth College Athletics and to keep up with all of the scores, just point your browser to monmouthscots.com. That's your official home on the World Wide Web for all things Fighting Scots related. And be sure to check the site's social media directory so that you can follow Monmouth Athletics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And that's going to be a 30 for this 24th edition of Monmouth College's 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Have a nice day and stay healthy. Stay healthy.